Hello, and welcome to the EPC's first ever podcast where we delve deeper into EU affairs and connect the dots between politics, policies, and people. My name is Rebecca Gustavons, and I'm the press officer here at the European Policy Center. Today, I'm joined by Janis Emenoulidis, our Director of Studies, and Marie de Zomer, the head of our Migration and Diversity Program. It has been extremely busy here in Brussels the last few days, with no less than seven summit-type events, including a Brexit summit, a regular European Council meeting, a Euro summit, and a Europe-Asia summit that is currently underway. We'll be focusing on what happened at the dinner on Wednesday and where we stand on Brexit and on the outcome of the European Council and Euro Summit on Thursday. So, Janis, let's start with you. Could you give us a bird's eye view of the last few days? How do you see the events that transpired in the last 24 hours? Well, I think overall this was not a very exciting um, European summit or European summits, as you said. Um, if you think uh, one week back, There was a high expectation with respect to potentially reaching an agreement with respect to Brexit that was not achieved. Um, if you look at some of the subjects which we will be discussing, um, concrete decisions were not taken. On the other hand, if you compare it to the two uh, most recent summits, the one in Salzburg in September, which was an informal summit, the one in June, um, there was less drama. In June, we were close to not even having European Council conclusions. In September, there was uh, more of a standoff on Brexit issues. There was even a standoff on issues related to migration. Um, so this was a rather unspectacular summit with no concrete decisions taken and some decisions, again, being postponed to a later point in time. And we will have to see whether at the end of the day, the heads of state and government will come to an agreement on the tough cookies. Okay. So, uh, as you said, uh, the expectations uh, were high for the meeting between UK Prime Minister Theresa May and EU leaders on Wednesday, uh, especially after negotiators failed to clinch a Brexit deal in the 11th hour last weekend. Um, prospects have turned quite grim. A no-deal Brexit is becoming more likely every day, and EU officials are growing increasingly worried. So, what was discussed at the Brexit summit, and where do we go from here? Well, when they had a discussion in the uh, Article 50 format, it started with uh, Theresa May giving an explanation of where she thinks st things stand, which was limited to 15 minutes. Um, there was no in-depth discussion following that introduction, um, but there was a discussion thereafter among the EU 27. However, what they had heard um, from the Prime Minister was nothing new which meant that there was not something where one could discuss and take decisions on. Um, so there were a good number of heads of state and government who were disappointed about the fact that no new ideas had been put forward by the British Prime Minister. Um, now that means that um, things have been postponed again. It will take some weeks um, to try to find an agreement on the withdrawal agreement and on the uh, future relationship between the EU and the UK. Um, that will take some time, but I think what we saw was that the EU heads of state and government were very keen on sending a signal of not being nervous about this. Uh, we have some time, we still have some time. Uh, the impression was given that we're moving towards an agreement, that the spirit was much more positive than it had been in September. So one is moving in the right direction, but it will take some time. And they very um, intentionally did not have a discussion about what to do in case of a no deal because they didn't want to send a signal that this is what they think will be the likely outcome. So there was a much more positive atmosphere than there was in September. However, 
there was no concrete progress and now one needs to see whether uh, when a potential extraordinary summit will take place I would not uh, disregard the possibility that it might even be before December but it might be in December um, so we will need to get to the point where we'll be moving closer to the cliff edge in order to get to a final agreement Okay, Marie, let's turn to you now. Uh, migration was another major topic of discussion between EU leaders in the past few days, and one that certainly continues to stir public debate in Europe. Is there uh, anything that stood out to you uh, in the summit conclusions? Well, what stood out, I would say, and if I can be so blunt, is that there's really not that much in those conclusions, uh, particularly if we compare it to what we saw in June after the summit. Uh, so the difference with these conclusions and the conclusions of June is very stark. In June, we had a grand talk and a lot of language around disembarkation platforms, controlled centers, all of that uh, is not off the table, but is not mentioned anymore uh, in the conclusions now. Um, so the, the lack of tangible, concrete proposals uh, is what I retain uh, the most from these conclusions. Well, the focus now seems to be um, exclusively on strengthening the EU's outside borders and beefing up the Frontex agency. Mm -hmm. There's also a reference to working more closely with African countries. Uh, do you see, in that sense, a consensus emerging at the European level uh, on migration policy, or are there still some dissenting voices? There are certainly still dissenting voices, uh, particularly and, and very clearly on, on the Frontex, the European Border and Coast Guard proposal. Uh, so we know already that uh, Hungary, uh, the Czech Republic and Italy have voiced concerns about their national sovereignty in relation to these new proposals. And that's then maybe one sentence that's striking in uh, the conclusions. It mentions, uh, it refers to those uh, proposals and then mentions that uh, continuing efforts will take place with due respect for the responsibility of the member states. So that highlights the sticky point uh, in that respect. Um, the Commission uh, recently mentioned that it was still very hopeful that we would uh, go to a swift negotiation on these uh, proposals. Uh, the same uh, signal is given by the Austrian presidency. Um, this is informed by the fact that previous border proposals really went at a record speed in negotiations. Uh, the hope is now that we can get the file closed and the legislation ready before uh, the May 2019 elections of the Parliament. Uh, but given uh, the issues around national sovereignty, uh, I'm afraid it will be difficult. Do you know what will be uh, some of those future sticking points in the, in the migration debate? I think... In terms of future sticking points, it's also the past sticking point. It's the one sticking point that always returns the Dublin reform, how to uh, organize and redistribute refugees across European countries. It's been on the agenda since 2015, and it remains on the agenda, I think, for the time to come. Uh, Marie, what do you uh, think about the idea that was floated by the Austrians at the summit about uh, mandatory solidarity? Yeah, so that idea of mandatory solidarity would be different from the mandatory refugee quotas, uh, is, is how uh, Sebastian Kurz put it. Uh, the idea would be to have solidarity not only in taking on uh, refugees, but uh, also through financial help and through operational support. Uh, I first want to stress that this is not necessarily an idea that uh, comes forward from the Austrian presidency or not to begin with. We've had ideas along these lines uh, coming from the Visegrad countries uh, over the course of the past years. 
Uh, and then, is this a good idea? Uh, and is this a solution? I don't think so. Uh, Chancellor Merkel has immediately uh, mentioned that she's skeptical, that this is not what a European solution can look like. And we already know from past reactions uh, amongst others from Italy to previous proposals along these lines that financial help is not enough or is not going to do it. Uh, they really want tangible uh, solidarity in the format of taking on some of the responsibility over refugees. Okay, uh, Janis, uh, let's go back to you now, uh, because EU leaders also talked about the reform agenda for the Eurozone. Um, in the past, you've often referred to a possible window of opportunity for more structural EMU reform in the wake of the French and German elections last year. Is that window still open? Because uh, the expectations for making progress at the June Council were already quite low, uh, as you said before, uh, but they seem to be even lower now. So what are, what are the results? Well, the um, Euro Summit took place in an inclusive format, which meant that all member states, also those who have not yet introduced the Euro, were present. Um, there was a discussion about the state of affairs um, in terms of trying to further deepen economic and monetary union. The president of the Eurogroup uh, explained of where discussions are among finance ministers. Um, however, there were no decisions taken. Um, they were again postponed now to December, where actually they want decisions to be taken with respect to issues related to the banking union, um, and here especially to two issues, one with respect to the European Deposit Insurance Scheme, uh, to introduce that or to at least progress with respect to the political negotiations about that. So it's not about probably taking concrete decisions, but at least making progress with respect to this issue which has not become easier uh, compared to where we were in June. And then the second um, issue area is a reform of the European stability mechanism, and here especially the question whether it's how to install a common backstop for the single resolution fund. So these are the two issues on which um, one is now concentrating. But even here, the expectations of reaching an agreement which uh, is uh, worthwhile reaching in December, I, don't, I think are very high. We rather see that uh, there are increasing differences. For example, with respect to the European Deposit Insurance Scheme, there's even more of a critical position in Germany now than there was some months ago. Um, with respect to the ESM, there are a lot of open questions uh, with respect to how big a commons backstop might be, what kind of governance structures it might have. So there are a lot of open issues which would require a degree of consensus to be reached within the upcoming months or weeks, which I think uh, is very difficult. Uh, and a lot of the other issues which potentially could be uh, then discussed and agreed to in December, I don't see that there is a lot of progress. For example, with respect to having a sizable multi-annual Eurozone budget, whether it's something separate or included in the EU budget, issues related to the question of installing a European Minister of Economy or Finance, or issues related, for example, to putting in place a European unemployment insurance scheme or a fund, all these things are not really on the agenda. Um, yes, there are some discussions, but it's not rather realistic that we will see breakthroughs uh, by December. So there still is some hope uh, to get things moving, but my appreciation of things is that we will not likely see big progress by December, which means that we are postponing mm -hmm. again issues related to economic and monetary union reform to a later point in time where we will probably have to wait for another window of opportunity to open and who knows when that will be.
Exactly, because then we'll be uh, in the run-up to the European Parliament elections of 2019. And uh, so are the chances, uh, are there any chances that there's going to be any progress before that, or probably not? I think that after the December summit, we will be entering the really final phase of this institutional cycle. Uh, as you said, we will be moving towards the European Parliament elections. Uh, we will be moving more of a heated debate also among, among different uh, camps opposing each other on different issues, not only with respect to EMU reform, but also with respect to migration. So I don't believe that we will see a lot of progress possible um, after December. Okay, and uh, Marie, then uh, maybe to you as well. So uh, on migration, um, will uh, that topic dominate uh, the campaigns in the media in the run-up to the uh, 2019 elections, as it has done in several recent uh, national, regional, and local elections in Europe? It's very likely to continue to do so indeed, uh, as we've seen in the past and as we've seen at national level too. Uh, the question is whether the results will be similar uh, because we're seeing a, a stronger movement towards uh, also this alliance around climate change issues and others. And some analysts say that there's a bit of a, a tiredness with the general European public around always talking and talking about migration. Um, if that trend is there, I don't think it's likely to become a very strong trend already uh, before May 2019. So I expect for these elections that migration will still be a dominant uh, topic. Uh, to what extent it will really get uh, voters' attention, uh, maybe less so than in the past. Do you agree, Yanis? I think that Marie is right. Um, I think that there is, yes, on the one hand, a trend, uh, and many argue that we should be discussing less about issues of migration, and we see that in some national election campaigns um, at national and regional level that migration is not the determining issue. But on the other hand, I think that in many cases we will still, on the run-up to the EP election, see that migration will be a dominant issue, uh, whether one wants that or not. But that will be embedded in more of a dominant confrontation between the two major camps, those who are arguing we need to defend liberal values, we need to defend our open societies, and those on the other side uh, of the divide who will be more in favor of an illiberal uh, form of democracy, of closing borders, of protecting ourselves. And I think that that battle will increase um, up until the European Parliament elections, and migration will be one issue among that. Now, I think this is part of an analysis. I don't think that this is the right thing to do, because um, it increases polarization, and that is playing exactly into the hands of those who want to divide our societies and want to profit of, uh, from that. So it increases the chances of those who many call the populists uh, in these elections, but I think the analysis is correct. We will have this increasing battle of camps, and these camps will also be split among themselves. The liberal camp will be split, the illiberal camp will be split, which means that, you will, that we will be moving into a phase, and I think it will also be the case after the EP elections, where reaching consensus and compromise at European level will not get easier, but will probably get more difficult. And this is where the fact that we have not collectively as EU27 have exploited the window of opportunity we had after the German and French elections will backfire. So we will come to probably to a point in time where we will say if we would have used that moment in time better, 
would have been probably better also prepared in the EP elections to make our case against all those anti-forces, the anti-euro, anti-EU, anti-migration forces. Um, but I think that this is something which is almost impossible to be stopped. So we have to face the consequences which are not very positive. Well, that wraps things up for today. Thank you, Jana Samari, for joining me this afternoon. I look forward to our next installment. Until then, over and out. <laughs>